welcome to the OMS podcast. My name is Jill Weber. Today we've got a special edition of our podcast as we've just been in a season of a whole bunch of folks uh, all over the world taking and renewing their vows to join the Order of the Mustard Seed. So in today's podcast, we're going to share a little window into our vow ceremony and hear from Pete Gregg and myself as we talk about God's invitation to us in a lifestyle of prayer, mission, and justice. Let's just take a moment, shall we? I'm just incredibly conscious that it's a very significant moment. Whenever I marry people, I, I always just say, this is it. <laughs> just stop. This is the moment that you've been preparing for. I know that many of you will be taking your vows the first time, have taken a year of preparation. That's no small thing for others of us. The moment in the year when we renew our vows to the Lord Jesus Christ, very significant. So let's just take a moment, shall we? Lord Jesus, this is for you, about you, and it is only in you that we can move forward. We open our hearts to you. Whatever our mornings have been like thus far, we just receive again your peace. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to move in this room and in our lives. Whatever this means to you, I just want to encourage you to become aware of the smile of the Father upon you in this moment. In a world where most people ignore and reject him, here we are seeking to move ever closer. It moves his heart so deeply. Become aware of his smile. He will not be smiling upon you more at the end of this than he does now. Receive his affection. Drop thy still dews of quietness till all our strivings cease. 
take from our souls the strain and stress and let our ordered lives confess the beauty of thy peace. Amen. Well, good morning everybody. This is a wonderful moment, extraordinary to see a, a packed venue uh, here to do this unusual yet historic thing. You may not be aware that tomorrow, the 31st of December, is the feast day of St. Alphonsus Rodriguez, um, who died 405 years ago, tomorrow. Uh, he was born in 1533 in Segovia, Spain. Aged 14, he was forced to leave school by the sudden death of his dad to care for his family business. In his 20s, he married and had three children, but tragedy struck and his wife died and all his children died. By his 30s, he had been driven to the brink of financial ruin. In desperation, he decided to become a monk. He was in his 40s and he was rejected by the Jesuits, considered too old and too uneducated to become a priest. And so instead he took a job as a doorkeeper at a Jesuit college on the Spanish island of Mallorca where he served as porter doorkeeper for the rest of his life. He was never promoted. He was never priested. Alphonsus turned doorkeeping, however, into a sacramental duty. Every time the door knocked, he would say, I'm coming, Lord. And he would then welcome whoever it was at the door as if they were Jesus Christ himself. <laughs> Can you imagine it? Over the years, countless brilliant young priests passed through that college. They were there to enjoy opportunities and privileges that Alphonsus himself had been denied. And yet he welcomed each one lavishly without any hint of resentment. And many of them subsequently began turning to Alphonsus, the porter, for spiritual direction. One of these young priests was a 25-year-old named Peter Claver, and he began meeting daily with Alphonsus, who was at this stage 72 years old. Eventually, the old man encouraged Peter to embark upon a great adventure to South America, where he would work tirelessly for the rest of his life caring for slaves. Peter Claver was later recognized as a saint by the Catholic Church for his heroic efforts as the slave to the slaves. That was the title they gave him. And Alphonsus Rodriguez, meanwhile, was also made a saint, canonized for his own brand of quiet heroism, expressed in a life of humility, hospitality, and friendship that changed the world. 
whatever the future holds as you make your vows or renew your vows today, whether it's to do great heroic work on the other side of the world or whether it is great tragedy and an extraordinarily humble life, the way of holiness, the way of serving and blessing is open to us all to be true to Jesus Christ in whatever context, to be kind to people, whoever they are, and to play whatever part we can within our context in the evangelization of the nations. <coughs> and of course, as you all know, that's the vow. We didn't invent this. Uh, we revived this in 2005. But uh, it was initiated by Count Ludwig Nikolaus von Zinsendorf and his mates in 1716 at Hall University slash school. And um, that vow that they made to be true to Christ, kind to people, gospel to the nations, marked by the Greek verse on their rings, no man, no one, actually it's non-gender in the Greek, no one lives for themselves, uh, was to change the world. And uh, we, you know, we, we, we think that when these Moravian refugees turned up on Zinzendorf's land, he was just a sort of modern, progressive liberal who believed in you know, offering lavish hospitality to refugees. He would have felt nothing from Christendom or aristocracy that made him feel he should do that. It was the vow that he had taken the ring on his finger. I always imagine when the Moravians first arrived, him looking at the ring on his finger. And he knew that he had committed himself to be kind to people. And so he said, yes, you can build a village that became Hanhut on his land. And then when they spent five years arguing and falling out, because they didn't realize they were like the Moravians about to make history. They just did what Christians do when they get together and try and create heaven. They sort of model hell, basically. <laughs> it was Zinzendorf who pulled them together in his chapel and said, repent. Why? Because he knew that he had made a commitment to be true to Jesus Christ. And then, of course, the spirit moved and they began praying night and day. And then it was, five year, uh, it was after five years of night and day prayer that he said, guys, not enough, not enough. Gospel to the nations. And the first two walked out of Hernhut, bound for the Danish West Indies. And that was the beginning of wave upon wave upon wave of evangelists and the missions movement of the Reformation had begun. You see, the vow that he made at Hal changed the world. And so uh, when as 24-7 unfolded, we realized this is the key. This is the shape of spiritual formation. This is what makes sense of all the praying and how prayer, mission, and justice fits together. And um, this is what puts boundedness on the chaos. This is what answers the great question of how do we live as followers of Jesus today in a 
world filled with Christian stuff and every new theory. And so uh, a very few of us met in February 2005 in Holy Trinity Church Clapham, deliberately that place, because it's where Wilberforce and the Clapham sect uh, used to worship. And uh, we uh, renewed this ancient religious order that had died out and uh, committed ourselves to be true to Christ, kind to people, and the gospel to the nations. And then, of course, people said to us, look, you've really got to work out what does this mean a bit more practically, because all you've done is promised to be Christians. <laughs> Good for you. And so we said, okay, and we, 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 it's not perfect. And in a way, I'm pleased this isn't perfect. I'd be very wary of people who say we have the perfect way, but it'll do. We said, true to Christ, let's express that in creativity and in prayer and worship. Uh, kind to people, let's express that in hospitality with justice and mercy. And gospel to the nations, let's express that in evangelism and uh, in learning. And so we have our hexagon, our six practices that are the expression of our three vows. I would say, though, to those who have often said to me, you're merely promising to be Christians, I would say to them, hallelujah. Both because I quite like simplicity, the three loves, but also because there is power in promising, and most of us weren't told when we became followers of Jesus that we were entering into a solemn covenant equivalent to marriage. Historically marked by cutting a carcass in half and walking through the middle of it, we were just told, come down the front and you'll get forgiven and go to heaven. And there is such a power in promising. David Ford, Regis Professor of Divinity at Cambridge University, wonderful Irishman, says this, Promising is an extraordinary phenomenon. A promise is utterly fragile, so easy to break, yet it can also generate bonds that last a lifetime and endure ups and downs, terrible sufferings, even betrayal, torture, or the threat of death. A relationship or group of any depth will, if it wants to last through the sufferings, joys, boredoms and distractions of life draw on the language and practices of promise keeping even if the promises that bind them are never spoken trust loyalty faithfulness hope patience endurance remembering promising is one of the main ways in which a shape of life is maintained through good and bad overwhelmings promising is the translation of desiring into faithfulness. And that's been my experience since 2005. Um, every year, repenting where I failed. Mostly being kind. Mostly because I drive a car. 
I'm so thrilled that my wife a few years ago joined me in the Order of the Mustard Seed because up to then she would turn to me sometimes and go, that wasn't very kind. <laughs> and now I can do it to her as well. And then she points out that that wasn't very kind. But actually, I think as time goes on, maybe gospel to the nations is harder. When we swap the word evangelism for mission, oh, it's so... Because I recycle. <laughs> I'm doing evangelism. No, you're not. Are you telling people about Jesus Christ? Are you living your life that way? I find that challenging. Am I willing to give up everything like the Moravians to go if that is what the Lord asks? And then, of course, the most challenging is actually not being kind. At the start, everyone goes on about kindness. But I suspect once we're all 90 years old or whatever, we'll be realizing the hardest one of all is always just simply to be true to Jesus because actually the others happen if you do that one. And so here we are to make these vows and renew these vows. And just in a slightly unsolemn moment, I do... I'm hearing more and more people who are having to choose. I, I merely have a ring. I want to tell you that. Uh, but uh, but, but I th I'm hearing more and more people having, having to choose. And, and when uh, uh, Jill and Pete Ward and I were involved with our official process of acknowledgement uh, with Father Colin, Colin and the Bishop of Manchester, um, and they were talking us through all these things, one thing they said is, uh, do you know how many people are in the Order of the Mustard Seed? And we said, no idea. And, and I thought they would sort of give up on us. They said, oh, that's wonderful. Uh, that's just like all the early orders. They had no idea either. <laughs> so that was a relief. But we, we do now have a database, and we're trying to track it. Um, and then the, the next thing they said is, no, 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 it's very important that you don't ask people to make life vows. And I said, oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, so most of you lot, you get to sort of, you know, just do it a year at a time. I'm afraid a few of us, I see Ian Nicholson at the back, I think Phil Togwell, uh, we, we, we didn't know that. So we, we're, we're in for life. Um, uh, and, and then the third thing that they, they sort of were talking about was, you know, how are you going to mark this? And we talked about rings. They loved that. And I said, now some people are getting tattoos. And so it's quite hard for them to renew their vows annually. And... <laughs> And you rarely see an abbot get more excited. He said, I don't think we've had this problem in millennia. <laughs> and so there will be a moment in the ceremony where uh, it's, all, it's a bit weird. And I just hope you haven't been silly enough to have your tattoos in awkward places. <laughs> but, but, but there'll be a... Uh, oh, would those who like to who have tattoos like to cover their tattoos? And then, would you like to expose your tattoo? So, uh, I just want to say here: if your tattoo is somewhere that should not be exposed, at, do not expose it at that moment. <laughs> who here's got a tattoo, or or or, or, or is oh, oh, loads of you? Well, that, that was a little word of knowledge for someone in the room. Then, that's right. <laughs> Um, I, I met someone, I don't know where you are, uh, yesterday in Starbucks, just around the corner, and 
you were terrifically lovely. You're a navigator. Where, where, where are you? Ah, oh, yes. And so now, uh, I don't think I met your wife. What's your wife's name? Claire. Are you guys doing okay? <laughs> The groom ran to the bride. Uh, calm down, prophets. So, so okay. Um, uh, well, it's it's very nice to meet you. Okay. So let's 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 finish as we started. Let's let's just as uh, Davy and Jill come back up. Let's just take a moment. This is about us together, uh, but it is very much something very precious and special between you and Jesus. So let's just take a moment and talk to him. You may want to talk to him about the, the vows you're about to renew or about to make. You may want to just read through the order of service and check that you really are happy with the promises that you're about to make or renew. So let's just take a couple of minutes now. So I got news for you all. You ready for the good news? Everybody here is pregnant. Can I get a hallelujah? <laughs> Put your hand on your belly. Come on, go with me. <laughs> yes, you too, men. You can do it. Hold still for a minute. And listen for the heartbeat. Can you feel it kick and twist inside of you? Divine intention, the dream of God planted deep inside each one of you. Do you remember maybe sometime in your history? Could have been as soon as last night. For Paul, it was in a dream, wasn't it? <laughs> the messenger of God, the invitation of the spirit that interrupted your life. For some of you, it's been a long gestation. <laughs> you feel large and lumbering. And for others, the overshadowing of God's Holy Spirit may have come even this weekend. So whether you feel it or not, whether you like it or not, everybody's pregnant. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a young man, let's call him Pete. He found himself on the edge of the world, standing at Cape St. Vincent, the western tip of Europe. I think it, probably it will be better in his own words, so I'm going to read to you. 
I won't try and imitate his accent. Sorry. <laughs> to the southwest of me, the next great landmass was Africa. To the west, it was America. But I turned and with my back to the ocean, imagined Europe rolling away from my feet for 10,000 miles. From where I stood, the continent began with a handful of rocks and a small green tent. But beyond that, I could imagine Portugal and Spain and France and Switzerland, Italy and Germany eventually falling into Russia, China and the Indian subcontinent. And visualizing nation after nation, I raised my hands and began to pray out loud for each one by name. And that was when it happened. First, my scalp began to tingle. Then an electric current pulsed down my spine and again and again, physically shaking my body. Nothing like this had ever happened to me before. And I was afraid. I could hear a buzzing, a clicking sound overhead as if an electric pylon was short-circuiting. I wondered if I was being electrocuted. And it occurred to me that a cliff top at night is pretty much the worst place to start shaking violently. <laughs> and then as these strange sensations continued, I saw something. My eyes were open. I could see with absolute clarity before me the different countries laid out like an atlas. And from each of these nations, I watched as young people arose out of the page, crowds of them in every nation, a mysterious, faceless army, silently awaiting orders. I have no idea how long that vision lasted. It might have been minutes or much longer, but eventually I climbed into my sleeping bag and with my head still spinning, I drifted into a deep sleep. My life would never be the same. So that night, Pete got knocked up. <laughs> he became pregnant with divine intention, and his life, indeed, we can all testify, has never been the same. And the stories, so many beautiful stories we've been hearing all weekend here at the 24-7 gathering bear witness to the generative life of the Spirit and the fruitfulness that comes through our lives when we just say yes. Yes, Holy Spirit, come overshadow me. Yes, may I become pregnant with divine intention. Yes, may that which is born in me and through me be begotten of God. So, indulge me again. Everybody put your hand on your belly. <laughs> Listen for the heartbeat. What is the dream you're carrying? As I consider my answer to that question, as I dig beyond the layers of my various roles and responsibilities and the various divine assignments of God that he gives me in particular times, in particular places, the dream that lies deep within me. 
is to see a generation that is attentive to, that is responsive to the presence and to the activity of God in them and through them and around them. A generation that looks around and says, there's huckleberries everywhere. We have new language now, don't we? <laughs> a generation who says, God, the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? A generation who no longer lives for themselves. A generation whose eyes and hearts are set on a king who is bringing forth his kingdom and who is at work in all the world, making all things new. So what's the dream you're carrying? I know that for some of us, the last few years, dreams, this equation is dreams equals disappointment. For some of us, it's felt desolate and dry. We've been in wilderness, wasteland spaces. It feels like nothing's happened. We've got these lost years. Can anybody remember what happened in 2021? Anybody? We've lost time, haven't we? <laughs> this is sort of this blip in our calendars and our memories. For perhaps others of you felt that God came into the garden of your heart with these really big pruning shears, or maybe a strimmer, and you've been raised right to the ground. And maybe you feel that way right now. But what if those aren't barren years? What if what you're experiencing is not emptiness, but instead spaciousness? What if the pruning is unto fruitfulness? The other part of the dream that I've been carrying huh, is a mother house for the order. <laughs> a house of prayer for all nations. A place where we can... Um, look at and love Jesus in a place where we can give our lives away to the movement beyond our walls and to the order as well and learn how to follow him together. I've learned over the years leading another house of prayer and, and um, already we're seeing at Waverly Abbey that there are, there's three kinds of people who come into a house of prayer. Some come for a vacation. They just come in and go, <laughs> they just need to take a, a breath and have a, a rest before they set back into the wider world. Others come with a sense of vocation. They know that they've been called to be pillars in the house. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord, as we've heard today. Well, the third kind, and I would argue the largest percentage of people who come into these places, come for incubation. God sets his dreams deep in their hearts. They become great with expectation. And then from out of this place, they give birth to the life of the Spirit wherever God flings them into the world, wherever the seed is scattered. And so we who serve at the house of prayer, at the mother house, have the privilege of being midwives of sorts, helping people notice what's growing, <laughs> helping them to know when to breathe and when to push and rejoicing with them when we see babies born and new life emerge. 
It's a holy vocation. I just want to share one midwifery tip. Is that all right? Because I think it's something you could take with you in the places that you cultivate where God has planted you. As we were praying, we went through a season, the establishment of Waverly Abbey, where it wasn't a breathing season, it was a pushing season. It was time to push. We were... We really needed God to do something, and, and we knew it was just far beyond our own capacity. And so we went into a season of prayers, praying for 40 days and, and fasting. We did a 40-day fast together as a core team to travail and to bear down and press in in prayer. And, and as we began to fast and pray, God sort of crystallized a prayer, a prayer strategy for us and gave us the big three that we began to pray. Number one, God, would you establish us in the land? Would you establish us? Number two, God, would you extend your favor on us? Maybe the favor of the Lord rest upon us in our hands. Establish. Well, establish. what is it? May the favor of the Lord rest upon us in our land. That's it. And establish for us the work of our hands. Those are the big two. But here's the third one. This, for me, was the most important. God, would you shape us into the kind of people that you would entrust with this stewardship. So as you go forth into the places of your own cultivation, where you're planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor, these little seeds that you carry, these little mustard seeds, <laughs> would you pray with me as we pray for you that God would establish you in your land, that God would surround you with his favor, and that God would shape you into the kinds of people that he would entrust with the stewardships that he gives you. In 1628, Johann Amos Comenius was the last bishop of the United Brethren in Moravia. He was leading a small band of exiled believers over the border to Poland. It had been tremendous persecution. They were escaping that persecution and their community of faith seemed to be just completely dying out. And as Comenius stood at the border, he raised his eyes to heaven. And he prayed a historic prayer. He prayed that God would preserve a remnant, a hidden seed, which one day would spring up and grow into a great tree for the glory of God. And so we see, of course, in our history that that hidden seed sprung up 50 years after Comenius' death where a remnant from that community crossed the border into Germany and established Hernhut. And the leader of Zinzendorf, the community became what we know carried the gospel into many, many nations and has affected the history of the entire church, leading us all into prayer and missions and discipleship movements all over the world. So I want to say, if you, if you, if, when you put your hand in here and I say you're pregnant, and you don't feel anything, know at least that that seed now lives in you. And God will grow it, and he will bring it forth into the place of your planting. I just want to pray for us. Again, last time, guys, put your hand on your belly. <laughs> Dangerous prayer. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and overshadow us. May we become pregnant with divine intention. 
We welcome the generative life of your spirit. We say yes. We say yes. And Lord, we ask that that which is born in us and which is born through us would be begotten of God. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast. For more information about the order, you can find us at orderofthemustardseed.com or on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. May God grant us grace as we follow his invitations to be true and to be kind and to go.